Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to Get Your Goat. Your host, Josh, here today. I'm going to be talking about the surprising retirement of Bruce Arians. That happened, you know, last week. I think it was Thursday, Friday. And somehow it feels like it's way longer than a week old. Uh, Then the New England Patriots making a trade with the Miami Dolphins. A rare trade between teams within the division. More Dolphins news. Then I'm going to talk about the NBA as we enter our last week of the regular season. The play-in tournament starts next week, but we've got one more week left uh, to see, you know, who are the top threats uh, to the team with the number one record, who will wrap up this year's MVP as well. Men college basketball, uh, Coach K exiting in the final four, and then Baseball opening day starts this Thursday. I'm breaking it down. Who I think is going to take home MVPs, uh, be in the uh, World Series, my top teams for this year, all that and more on this episode. Let's get started with Bruce Arians retiring. Let me tell you, I was as shocked as anyone when that news dropped that Bruce Arians was retiring. Could not believe it uh, that they were bringing everyone back. Tom Brady has unretired. They went out, added some new pieces as well. Bruce Arians in the Combine, at the Combine, talked about how excited he is uh, to coach this team and, you know, be there, you know, Kyle Trask, Blaine Gabbert, whoever it is, you know, he wanted to go out and compete and be competitive, you know, even talked about with Tom Brady that they were, you know, before he came back, that they were going to exhaust every option for a quarterback. So it looked like Bruce Arians was in there for the long haul. And then all of a sudden, he suddenly retires takes a front office job as a consultant or something like that. And Ty Bowles is a new coach. All felt very, very strange. And to me, the Buccaneers have had the strangest offseason. Somehow, to me, it is the best offseason, but still the strangest in terms of Tom Brady retiring, unretiring, uh, a lot of free agent additions, uh, Bruce Arians now retiring. It has been a lot. And I think one of the reasons why the Buccaneers did not win the Super Bowl this past year was that they faced a lot of distractions. You know, you still had the Bruce Arians-Tom Brady uh, clash. You had the Antonio Brown mess sort of cloud over his team, you had a lot of internal distractions. And I think it was just too much to overcome. And I thought, you know, if this team is healthy this year, free of distractions, this is going to be the team that wins it all. I had them as my number one team in the power rankings I just did on my last podcast. And yet here is another distraction. I just hope that all this, you know, is resolved now, sooner than later, so everything is set before 
the season starts. Uh, I think it's great that Bruce Arians retired. I think this pleases Tom Brady as well uh, because Bruce Arians publicly taking shots at Tom Brady, you know, about his play. I know Bill Belichick would do that occasionally. Uh, You know, he wouldn't be as, you know, direct about it as Bruce Arians would kind of be, you know, shade, you know, throwing under a boat uh, bus, it'd be cryptic, you know, wouldn't be as blatant as, you know, Tom Brady or, you know, name calling like Bruce Arians is accustomed to. Do I think Tom Brady had some say? Yes, I don't think Bruce Arians was his favorite coach. I know talks about loving BA and, you know, the free agent case. And initially there might have been love there, but I think the love wore off pretty quickly With B.A., you have the quarterback, Tom Brady, who won six Super Bowls before going there. Bruce Arians not winning any, and he arrives, and you get your Super Bowl win. Uh, So, I believe Tom Brady has some say, and I think it's great that Todd Bowles is the replacement, and I'm happy that he took ownership of the call. Because like I said, a lot of it was distractions uh, that the team lost. But another reason was that Tom Brady led a comeback down 24 points, 27-3. to And they tie up the game at 27. And the defense blows it. Bad play call, uh, design, and execution of a play all around. And Todd Bowles said it's on him. He blew it. But I'm glad he took ownership of it, and I'm glad uh, that it can be behind him now. Uh, He can work with the defense, you know, have co-defensive coordinators. I definitely think that that will help. Uh, I really do. And I'm glad that Byron Leftwich, you know, is still the offensive coordinator. Going to go to Jacksonville. He stayed. Uh, With them, Tom Brady, I think, has a great relationship with Byron Leftwich. You know, both of them, you know, I will, I don't think it's out of the realm to call Tom Brady basically the co-offensive coordinator for this because of his football knowledge and mind. The fact that he's also older than Byron Leftwich and his superior knowledge to the game. But I think they do have a great relationship, the offense is going to be just fine in the hands of Byron Leftwich, Tom Brady. I think Ty Bowles, you know, is not going to be handling a lot of offensive duties this season. Uh, I think he has his work cut out for defense, you know, whether it be bringing people back, you know, coaching, execution. He can work more on that front. But I think this will work out for the Bucks and uh, this team in the long run. I think Todd Bowles is a great coach. Uh, Don't think he's a guy to kind of call people out like Bruce Arians. I don't think he's as vocal as much as a uh, maybe motivator, but he is a more uh, 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 strategical thinking coach. Uh, And I think that will benefit them, especially in terms of play call. I think, you know, maybe it'll be a little more daring as well. 
I think that the team got better with Todd Bowles as the head coach. I know he had a one stint with the Jets, uh, but I don't really hold that on anybody considering how people turn out going to the Jets as a coach or a player in hopes of continuing a great career and you go to the Jets and it just sucks the life and energy out of you and you are not the same person uh, as the Jets as you typically tend to be. So I'm not going to hold those couple years that Ty Bowles was there on the Jets on him considering that the roster has not improved since before he was there, when he was there, or post there. So Ty Bowles has inherited a very, very great situation in Tampa Bay. I think things will work out for him a lot more, a lot better than it did uh, with the New York Jets. What else is happening in the NFL? Well, Patriots acquired wide receiver Devontae Parker in a trade with the Dolphins. They traded a third-round pick to the Dolphins for Devontae Parker and a fifth-round pick. Very rare AFC East trade, uh, you know, inside your division. But this, I think, is really good for the... Uh, Patriots who need more outside weapons. Kendrick Bourne, you know, was a solid piece. But to me, this just improves on their wide receiver corps of, uh, like I said, Kendrick Bourne and your tight ends of John U. Smith, Hunter Henry. This helps out Mac Jones' progression as well. Is Devontae Parker a top receiver? No, I don't think so. But he is a very good underrated receiver. You look at his one fully healthy season in 2019, a few years ago, 1,200 receiving yards, nine touchdowns, great year. You know, following your dealt with some injuries, 793. This year, again, injuries, uh, 500. So when he's healthy, again, it's an F for a lot of players, but he is still very valuable. Uh, the Dolphins no longer needed him after the Tyree kill trade. After seeing how well Jalen Waddle did, they signed Cedric Wilson from the Cowboys. So there was just no room left on this roster for uh, Devontae Parker. You know, some targets trying to go to the tight end, Gusecki. So he was not there. But uh, this, you know, is going to, I think, do really well. Is it, you know... Is he going to win you a couple games? No, I don't think so. But like I said, he's a very good underrated wide receiver. You know, since 2019, he has led the NFL in contested catches. He is number one at 57. Allen Robinson at 55. Mike Williams at 53. So this, you know, is very good for them. Uh, you got Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne. You know, are they going to keep Nelson Aguilar or not? It looks like Nikhil Harry's time in New England is going to be done. Uh, you know, he requested a trade last summer, um, kept him on the roster. You know, it was a healthy scratch a few games. You know, hasn't been that guy, like I said, now that you bring in Devontae Parker. You got Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers. Will they keep Nelson Aguilar? So I think they trade him, try to get something that was a waste of a pick. Uh, but I look at New England's receiving core, and it reminds me a lot right now 
of the Green Bay Packers, where it's a lot of wide receiver number threes. Maybe I'm a verge of wide receiver number twos. But no legit wide receiver number one. I think they still should address that through a draft. Uh, if somebody like a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave falls into their lap, definitely go for it to get a number one weapon. Maybe even a Jamison Williams, uh, the connection with Mac Jones there. So to me, drafting a receiver even after a trade is not outside the realm of possibility, and it would still make the Patriots a better team. So that's definitely something the Patriots should still consider doing is going after a wide receiver, even after getting Devontae Parker. Great addition and pickup. Uh, but they're going to need a little bit more strength on that outside uh, position. And then the Dolphins were not done there. They also agreed to a new historic lucrative contract with Xavier Howard, their star cornerback. Uh, they announced a new five-year deal uh, a couple days ago. You know, it's worth $50 million, the most guaranteed money for a cornerback in NFL history. I mean, good for him. He's making his money. Uh, you know, last year requested a trade after not being valued. Uh, you know, they reworked his contract a little bit. You know, he had three years, $39 million remaining on a five-year, $75 million deal. Give him this deal now, you know, more money. Now we're paying him a lot of money. Byron Jones, a lot of money as well. Uh, so, Xavier Howard secured his bag. And to me, it's worth it. Uh, intercepted five passes this year. You know, the year before, I believe he had 10 or 11. And since he's entered the league in 2016, no player has had more interceptions than his 27th. So he is a fantastic shutdown corner, a true ball hawk in the league. So definitely, I believe he is worth this deal. Uh, and when I look at the Dolphins, it's a team... That's going all in now. It was signaled by the trade of Tyreek Hill. So very, very smart move by the Dolphins to get this done. Uh, for Xavier Howard, lock up your cornerbacks, your skill positions out there on the outside, uh, and really go all in to see if Tua is the guy or not. You know, you're surrounding Everything, the offense, defense with weapons to evaluate Tua's play. But Xavier now has to live up to his contract. He's been doing it so far, uh, but we'll see how he does now, you know, moving forward, but well worth his money in contract extension. Another player that got his money, Bobby Wagner. The great Bobby Wagner got a five-year deal uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, reports are believed that, you know, it's five years, $50 million. Could be worth up to $65 million. A lot of money for Bobby Wagner, who has made, you know, the Pro Bowl 
I think, you know, eight consecutive times. Uh, is a six-time pro, uh, All-Pro in there as well. I mean, just fantastic. Again, Ironman never misses games. Has led the league in tackles before he has been the, to me, the best linebacker, you know, for the past eight years, the best Mike linebacker, middle, whatever you want to call it. He has been just tremendous. Uh, this year was kind of, you saw a decline in his play for kind of the first time uh, where he didn't look like the dominant, dom- dominant self that he is like the Darius Leonard or other linebackers that there are. Uh, you know, could this be a thing that, you know, is with the Seahawks, you know, this wasn't Russell's greatest season ever. Is it an anomaly because the Seahawks were so bad this year? You know, Russell Wilson looked bad. DK looked bad. The whole team looked terrible. Is Bobby Wagner going to find his second wind, his second life in uh, L.A. like kind of Von Miller did with his, you know, very short half of the year stint with the Rams? Who knows, but I believe Sean McVay will try to extract whatever talent and what he can get out of Bobby Wagner. I believe Sean McVay will do it and can do it. You know, he joins the defense at the first level has Aaron Donald. He's anchoring the second level and the third level has Jalen Ramsey. Uh, So, you know, the Rams, you know, the rich get richer again. He just had his worst year. So, we're going to see if that was a sign of things to come, if he is truly on the decline or not. But we've seen great linebackers play very well into their late 30s uh, and have, you know, great years late in their life, you know, such as, you know, a Ray Lewis caliber player. I don't believe Bobby Wagner is that kind of guy. But even if he plays, you know, closer to his 2020-2019 self into this past version that we saw, he will benefit the Rams. Again, it was surprising considering, you know, the Rams linebacker core has not been great recently. You know, they traded one of them this past year, and it's not really been a, a case of strength for uh, this Sean McVay team since he's been the coach there. So to shell out this kind of money to Bobby Wagner, you know, you're definitely taking away from your rival. We'll see how this improves his team. I don't know if I I don't expect this move, you know, to pay wonderful dividends and, you know, this defense be number one across the board uh, like it was two years ago. But I think, you know, having Bobby Wagner, uh, definitely more of a presence at that spot than not having him, which still could prove to be very beneficial for the Los Angeles Rams. So, I think this signing is very smart for them. Uh, just a little concerned about the money at this point. Now moving on to the NBA. It just came in that Ben Simmons, the great Ben Simmons, is out for the rest of the regular season and play-in tournament. That means he will miss the final four games and potentially two 
playing games, and it is unlikely that he will return for the playoffs with his uh, disc issue that he is facing. Uh, I mean, I believe, you know, Steve Nash announced this today. Uh, I really don't think he'll be in for the playoffs, at least to make a meaningful run. This is unfortunate for the Nets. Uh, I don't think, you know, when they made this trade, they were thinking there would be this many issues with Ben Simmons. Uh, You know, a lot of people in the media declared the Nets is, you know, this was the trade to make this good for them. Uh, 76ers, what are you doing? I was the other way. But this could turn out to just be a mutual beneficial trade uh, for the teams where you look back at this in hindsight a few years, and it was a trade that didn't mean much. Uh, James Harden didn't go on to win anything there. Ben Simmons didn't go on to win anything there. He was injured, uh, couldn't play. They got some nice role players, but it didn't mean anything. I believe a lot of their championship aspirations was on Ben Simmons. The defense was on Ben Simmons as well to pick up that slack, saying, hey, we don't need you to go out and get 30 points uh, and be crazy. You can facilitate a bit, but we need you on defense because Kyrie can drop 30 to 60 at any point. And same with uh, uh, Kevin Durant. He can drop you know 30 to 50 on any given night. So we don't need you to drop those kind of numbers. We need you to play defense. So having... Ben Simmons out for the rest of the season hurts their chances. Uh, you know, right now, you know, this is a team that Kevin Durant scored 55 on the Hawks and they still lost. Uh, you know, Trey Young, 36 points, you know, had a good game, wasn't that efficient, 10 of 24, but he was more efficient than Kyrie Irving, got 31 points on 32 shots. Uh, you know, you got to be more better, more better, more efficient than that. Look at the Nets, you know, have an easy schedule. Uh, but, you know, like I said, they're clenched a play-in berth. To me, it's likely that that play-in berth is going to be uh, the number nine or number 10 seed against the Hornets. You know, they're a full game back of Atlanta now with tie breaks, so they need to make up two. The Rockets, they can beat. The Knicks, the Knicks have been playing teams tough. You know, that could be a tough game. Cavs, they're a playoff team as well. And then the Pacers, you know, I expect to win as well. Uh, But then you're going to need Atlanta to lose. And who do they lose to? Raptors are tough. You know, Wizards, not that good. Heat, you know, could lose to. And they'll be for Rockets. So, to me, uh, Brooklyn is locked in. They're locked into the plane automatically. Will it be a 9 or 10 spot? That's the question that remains to be seen. So we're going to have to win uh, two playing games to even make the playoffs. And with Ben Simmons, this makes it this much harder. But this shows to me just how soft Ben Simmons is. Uh, this guy, you know, you know, people talk about you're not, you can't trust Ben James Harden in big games. You can't trust Ben Simmons in any games. Uh you just can't. I mean, it's sad. 
you know, Ben Simmons is trying to get, you know, $20 million of salary from the uh, 76ers. I don't think he's going to win that at all. He's not able to play, uh, you know. Uh, it's just, it's, you know, it's kind of just ridiculous at this point, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, not playing and not being healthy enough uh, to play games, you know, what were you doing for that long? What was wrong with your back? I mean, I, I really don't feel for Ben Simmons at all. A lot of this is on himself. Uh, so I have a hard time finding sympathy uh, for him. What about the Lakers? Another team that is struggling, struggling mightily. Uh, they are on the brink of elimination. The brink of elimination. The team that was favored to win everything. You know, favorites to win it come out of the West. They were the favorites. They are now 16 games under 500 and on the brink of elimination after San Antonio won. The Lakers are a full two games behind the Spurs and the Spurs on the tiebreaker. So technically it's like a two and a half games back. The Lakers have to close out, beat the Suns, the Warriors, the Thunder, and the Nuggets, and the Spurs have to lose three games to the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, Warriors, or Mavericks. Very tough. The Spurs could definitely, I could see the Spurs, you know, they just beat the Trailblazers, who are the worst team in the league, but they could beat, or they, excuse me, they could lose the next four very easily. You know, you have teams still playing. You have the Nuggets playing to avoid the play-in, you have the Timberwolves trying to play to exit the play-in and get into the playoffs. You know, the Warriors trying not to drop their spot to the Mavericks and the Mavericks trying to gain on the Warriors. So all those teams still have, you know, reason to play games uh, against the Spurs. You know, you look at the Lakers, you look at the Suns, you know, how meaningful will that be? Will you have the Suns rest players? Warriors, you know, Lakers play the Warriors well. What will happen then? The Thunder is a team the Lakers should beat, but the Lakers just haven't this year. And then the Nuggets, you know, the Lakers just lost to them yesterday. Had a chance of winning that game. Uh, you know, no LeBron, but, you know, Lakers are up, you know, entering the fourth quarter by, you know, even it's by a point, and they just cannot close games. The Lakers have not been able to close games all year long. If they were able to close games, you know, they would be 500 or above 500, but that is not the case for the Los Angeles Lakers. Even with Anthony Davis coming back and looking good, uh, it's just this team is a mess. From top to bottom, it is a mess. LeBron, you know, on the verge of winning a scoring title, but the defense has lacked. Anthony Davis has played 39 games, which is less than half the season. 
Russell Westbrook has appeared in almost every game, but is the worst three-point shooter in the league, and he has the most turnovers in the league. You are not going to win when your starting player is one of the worst players in the league. You just cannot overcome that. Malik Monk has been a good role player. Carmelo Anthony, a good role player. But other than that, Taylor Horton Tucker, THT, has not made the leaps that people thought he would uh, make. I think at one point last year, I believe they could have pulled off a heist in getting a first-round pick for THT. That's no longer the case. You can't even get a second round for that bum. So overplayed your hand on THT. You overplayed your hand on uh, Russell Westbrook. And when you look at the rest of the guys, AR-15, Austin Reeves, he's been, you know, he's contributed, but he's not that guy. Avery Bradley, not that guy. Wayne Ellington, Stanley Johnson, DJ Augustine, Dwight Howard. You had DeAndre Jordan for a stint, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Rajon Rondo, you know, there at the beginning of the year. Uh, so... This team has went through it all. Uh, They have exhausted every player combination and everything they can do. And this team, you know, it's just not it. Even with LeBron, you know, averaging 38-6, and this team cannot overcome it. LeBron, or I should say LeBron, can't overcome it. I believe they miss the playoffs. This hurts, you know, LeBron's legacy, even if he wins the scoring title. Because he hasn't, I forget, you know, LeBron, you know, just does not miss the playoffs at all. Uh, This is a guy that, you know, went to eight straight finals. uh, And to see him do this, you know, last time he missed the playoffs was, you know, uh, his year, his first year in LA, the meme team, but he was injured, you know, before that it was 2005. I think that's like officially, uh, because I think he missed a lot of games, you know, with that first Lakers team. So, you know, he's missed the playoffs, but it just seems weird that, you know, in his 19 years, he's only missed the playoffs three times. His injury year in 2018-2019. And then before that, his kind of first two years in the league, the 03-04 season, uh, the 04-05 season. Uh, Again, the playoffs are to be weird without LeBron James. It's been a staple. I believe ratings will take a bit of a hit because some people, like myself, tune in to watch LeBron James now. You know, I'll tune in on occasion, watch Giannis and whatnot, but, you know, the playoffs are different without LeBron James, especially when you have teams up above, like, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Minnesota Timberwolves, really? So, you know, we'll see uh, about this, but the Lakers are not in a good shape, are not in good shape right now. But yesterday... Other than the Lakers losing, I saw the Dallas Mavericks go toe-to-toe with the Milwaukee Bucks and win. Luka Doncic, I thought, played great. 32 points yesterday, 15 assists, 8 rebounds. Uh, was phenomenal. The step-back three, you know, 
wasn't super hot, you know, three of nine, 33%, kind of his MO. But they did enough to beat the Bucks. I mean, it was a game of runs. You had Dallas up, you know, with the lead. Then you had Milwaukee. Then you had Dallas sort of close late. So congratulations to Dallas. You know, they're proven to me. You know, Luka has taken an extra step this year. This team has taken an extra step. Uh, this is a team not to be trifled with come playoff time. I believe they are going to be a very tough out. You know, the past couple of years they've bowed out first round of the Clippers. Don't, do not believe uh, this is the case this year um, with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Milwaukee, I believe, is still a very good team. Still the team to beat in the East. Uh, but for Dallas, this helps them out. Still puts them one game behind uh, Golden State, you know, as they're trying to get to that three-spot. Mavericks have the easiest schedule remaining. Uh, teams are games against the Pistons, Trailblazers, and Spurs. And you have Golden State play the Lakers, uh, Spurs, and Pelicans. So, again, that third spot's also going to come down uh, to the wire as well. But Dallas has been playing great, led by Luka Doncic. And last, Joel Embiid says, I don't know what I have to do to win MVP. I'll feel like they hate me. I feel like the standard for guys in Philly or for me is different than anyone else. Don't know if that was the best thing to say. I know when people vote for people, uh, the last thing they want to do is get shamed or bullied into voting for Joel. So I don't think so. I you know, Joel Embiid has been the favorite for so long, you know, until the last two weeks where it's kind of turned to Nikola Jocic. Uh, but Joel Embiid should just let his play speak for himself and, you know, what he's done. I mean, you know, Joel Embiid, you know, has 11 40-point, 10-rebound games. Uh, you look at the people who's also done that, you know, you know, more than 10 times in a season. Russell Westbrook, he won MVP in 2017. Moses Malone in 1982 did that. James Harden 2019 was second. So Joel Embiid has been playing great. He was doing it in the absence of uh, Philadelphia or in the absence of Ben Simmons. And his team, you know, has a better record than Denver and is closer to a one seed in top of the conference than Denver is. So Joel Embiid's playing great. And even with James Harden, I believe he lost a little bit of draw there because James Harden came. Uh, in Denver, and Jokic has been doing this without Jamal Murray. Uh, so, you know, it's been different. Uh, for You know, it's been similar for both Jokic and Embiid Bigman without their second player until Embiid got his. But I think it, it, was, it was not smart for Embiid uh, to go to these lengths uh, and just go out and try to you know, rip the voters or anything uh, like that. Again, he's averaging 30 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. He could very well be uh, the scoring champion as well. You know, you have a week left. LeBron's leading by 0.1 
or maybe even less than that, or like 0.17 or something. Uh, so his race is very close. LeBron can win it. Joel can win it. Giannis can win it. So this is going to go down to the wire, I believe, to the final game. And it can, you know, they could hand, or Joel Embiid could hand it to himself on a silver platter. Playing the Pacers aren't very good. The Raptors, who are all right, you can make a statement against the playoff team. The Pacers, again, who aren't good. And the Pistons, who aren't very good. You know, go out and drop 40 points in the next, you know, four games, and then you get it. I believe the race is still too close to call, even with a week left. Now it's time to get into my top five teams in the NBA. This is, you know, the last regular season power ranking edition for my top five NBA teams. Number five, this was kind of the tough right here, was number four to number six. But number five, I had to put the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis and his great 40-point game, you know, beating, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Durant this week, and then you had him beat Joel Embiid as well. Just phenomenal. It showed up. Uh, this team, again, is still very, very tough to beat. It takes, you know, greater performances from the opposing team to beat this team. And that is what happened, you know, with Luka yesterday. Uh, but this team is very sound. They're getting better defensively. They had a rough playoff stretch, and they exceeded a lot of people's expectations. They are performing well at a high level. Number four, the Dallas Mavericks on a tear. Luka, you know, I believe if he would have played as well as he's played in the past two, three months, you know, all year long, he'd be in the MVP conversation right there. That is how good he has been. He's been terrific. You know, after the trade of Chris Dabbs Porzingis as well, he has stepped up his game. He's been carrying his uh, team. I wouldn't say they're a very weak roster. Is it a very talented all-star field roster? No. But this is the likes of Luka Doncic, the great coaching of Jason Kidd, and the connection that those two share as well has made this team very tough to beat. Number three, the Miami Heat. Yes, the best team in the Eastern Conference. And at times it feels like the worst team in the Eastern Conference. I just don't know. But there they are, you know, right now. They are sitting atop the Eastern Conference with a two-game stretch. They have won four in a row after the Butler-Spolstra outburst. Uh, They have beat good playoff teams, the Raptors and the Bulls as well in that stretch, the Celtics. So this team hopefully is peaking at the right time uh, and, you know, will also be a very tough out. Victor Oladipo rounding into form for this bench as well. Uh, Miami could be picking it up just at the right time. Number two, the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, they have won seven in a row. Nine of their past ten without their MVP, Ja Morant. They are now 20-2 this season without Ja Morant. 20-2. and two. 
that is the best, you know, in the history of the NBA, you know, having your top player miss that many games and having that good of a record, you know, that's it's quite simply amazing. Uh, and teams that have played that well missing their star player often win finals. 2017, Kevin Durant missed quite a few games. Guess what? They won the NBA Finals uh, as well with them. Kobe Bryant, 0-1 Lakers, missed quite a few games. Guess what? That team still won the NBA Finals. He was back by then. And Kawhi Leonard as well with the Raptors 2019. uh, You know, load managed as well a lot. Missed a lot of games. And won a title. He was healthy and rested for regular season. Let's see if John Morant can keep that up as well with this great Grizzly team. You know, just beat the Suns, as I said, without Ja, without Desmond Bain, without Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson. I mean, you can't get much better than that. This Memphis team is hot right now. There's This is the reason why I picked them to represent the West and make it to the NBA Finals. I believe in the Memphis Grizzlies. But who's just one spot ahead of them? It's the Phoenix Suns, again, based on record. They've also won eight of their past ten. Looks like they're starting to rest players now. You know, they've lost two in a row. Devin Booker uh, has been resting. Chris Paul as well. You know, they're kind of alternating, getting ready for the playoffs. As they've already clinched the best record in the NBA. So there's not a ton of reason to still go all out because you don't want your players to get hurt. Uh, But Phoenix is still... A very, very formidable team when they're fully healthy. Uh, You know, fourth in terms of points per game scored. They are one of the best defensive teams as well. The chemistry there, tremendous. Uh, I believe they'll keep it up. Uh, They'll still have a deep run in the playoffs without going to the NBA Finals. And another note in the NBA, out of the eight play-in spots, three have been clinched. Two in the East, Charlotte, Hornets, Brooklyn, Nets, and then the Clippers have done it so far in the West, the only team to clinch the play-in. It's good clinching the play-in, and it's bad at the same time. It's good because you're guaranteed to not be eliminated at all and have no shot. But it also means you cannot be one of the six teams that, you know, could possibly exit the play-in tournament and technically not make the playoffs. But I look at Brooklyn. They're a very dangerous team with Kevin Durant as their best player in Kyrie Irving. That's a team that can win a lot of noise. And, you know, I'd be surprised if they don't win their play-in games. Another team I feel like is playing better as of recently, the Los Angeles Clippers, especially with the return of Paul George. You know, it's been great. Uh, they just beat the Pelicans. Uh, they beat the Bucks by a ton as well. You know, the comeback against the Jazz was his first game back in a while. Uh, so they clinched the playing spot. And I think, you know, seeing what this team did last year, Without Kawhi, take the Suns to six games, uh, finish off the Jazz without him. This is a team no one wants to see with Ty Lue as their head coach, one of the best head coaches 
in the league. I believe the Timberwolves, you know, we're a game and a half back of Utah. They're trying to do whatever they can to avoid the Clippers in that play-in game. And I don't believe anybody wants to see the Clippers in the play-in. Uh, this is a team I believe will win their one play-in game and beat whoever is the seventh spot. I believe they can beat Minnesota, beat Utah, get in and play Memphis for a heck of a series. Uh, I believe that'll be great, and I believe the Clippers want that. I don't think they they want. I believe you know none of no teams in the play-in. The Clippers, either be the Lakers, Spurs, nobody, nobody's going to beat the Suns or the Grizzlies in the first round. It's just what matchup do you want? But I don't believe that whatever draw that they get, uh, they will get farther than that. And then in the East, you know, Charlotte, Brooklyn. Right now, it's Miami, Boston. I don't believe Charlotte gets past either of those teams. Uh, right now, it would be Miami based on where we're at. Brooklyn, I definitely give them more of a shot, but it is tough with how good they are defensively and how they can switch. You know, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, again, great constructed team. That would be a terrific series. So that's playing. More playing to be clinched this week. No NBA on tonight. The Monday is off, but the next few days are filled and full of basketball, you know, Tuesday to Sunday with some great games uh, to close out the regular season. Then college basketball. Both the teams I picked last week to make to the national championship lost. Duke was my favorite all along, my preseason favorite. Regular season favorite when I filled out my brackets, it was Duke, Duke, Duke. And did Duke ever have a shot on Saturday night to make it to the final game of the March Madness tournament? But they simply could not do it. They were leading at halftime. They were leading for a good portion of the second half. Had the lead, Paulo Banchero. Played great, but one player on North Carolina played better. Caleb Love made bigger shots, the bigger free throws that won this game. Duke could have won, easily could have won, but their free throw percentage, 60%. You can't expect to go 60% from a charity strike, 12 of 20, and lose that game. Who else? Jeremy Roach, who I thought has been very, very reliable this year for his team. One ice cold. Ice cold. 0 of 5 from 3. Same with A.J. Griffin. You know, they were 22% from 3. You can't win games when you're 60% from a line and 22% from the 3-point line. They were yet still so close to winning it. And it still does not feel right that North Carolina won this game, and Duke exited before the final game of March Madness, the national championship game tonight. I feel bad for Coach K, the greatest college basketball coach of all time still, unparalleled in the records that he holds, the wins that he holds, the players that he's coached as well. The tremendous career. Congratulations uh, to Coach K. 
on a fantastic career on and off the court. His journey continues off the court. It's going to be interesting to see a new look Duke team, you know, with a new head coach on the sideline. Uh, but congratulations to Hubert Davis and the North Carolina squad for knocking out Duke in a intense, intense rivalry game. Uh, I believe this one is going to hurt, especially since, you know, the your both games, you know, his last two uh, big losses, the one and, you know, his last home game, the final four game, came at the hands of the same opponent, North Carolina, the biggest rival, biggest rivalry in college basketball. That one definitely, that one hurts. Uh, it hurt to see Coach K go out like that in Duke, uh, but North Carolina is playing tonight and Duke is not. And then the other one, Villanova, I thought the loss of Justin Moore was big, but they've been able to overcome that and things in the past. Jay Wright could do it. But what could they not overcome? The hot three-point shooting of Kansas. Villanova was hot from three. They were shot 41% better from the field. Uh, But Kansas was even better. Shot 54% from uh, three-point land, better than them from the field. Uh, Illinois shot 38% from the field, Kansas 53%. Kansas, it was just a hot shooting night. I believe, you know, if it was closer and Kansas wasn't that hot, Villanova wins this close game. Uh, But Kansas made three after three. Uh, David McCormack played great, Ajabi, all of them, Kansas played extremely well, about as ext- well as a game as you could play. Uh, Bill Self, you know, avenging that loss to the Villanova Wildcats of, you know, four years ago. They were able to do it and beat Villanova. So now the national championship is set. North Carolina versus Kansas tonight. North Carolina is the... Eight seed, no one expected North Carolina to be in this game. I believe it was 1% or less than 1% of brackets had North Carolina in the national championship game. So very unlikely for them to be here. I'm picking North Carolina. I'm rooting for North Carolina. I do not like Kansas or Bill Self. But I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas won at all. North Carolina just left it all out on the line, you know, to me, what was one of the biggest, most intense basketball games of all time in that Final Four, and it's how you come back two days later and play like you just did. How do you do that? I don't know if they can do that or match that. Uh, I don't. Uh, I believe, you know, Kansas is playing so well, they can definitely come in here and steamroll North Carolina. I believe one of two things will happen. North Carolina wins a close game or North Carolina, or Kansas blows them out of the water. Uh, It's not even close or competitive. I don't really see it going down any other way, except one of those two ways. I think if it's a close game, North Carolina finds a way to pull it out. Caleb Love, best player on the floor, will find a way. Uh, You know, it hurts it, but North Carolina center, uh, Bacot, Bacot, 
his ankle, you know, twisted it, it hurt him. But as he said, you have to cut my leg off to come out of, you know, the national championship game. So he's playing all hands are on deck for the final game of the college basketball season. Then I just want to give a shout out to South Carolina women's basketball uh, for winning their tournament as well. Uh, Destiny Henderson as well playing a great game. And, you know, it's cool having a coworker that knows her as well as on the same high school team, uh, is a teammate with her and now, you know, MVP of the tournament uh, for Women's National Championship and the whole thing. Congratulations to South Carolina. Then Michigan football spring game, Colin Kaepernick was the honorary captain, was throwing some passes during halftime. Spike Lee was there as well filming, going to make a documentary about Cap, you know, this, you know, crazy thing. But, you know, there you go, Kaepernick, you know, throwing in front of NFL scouts could be your one last hurrah. Tiger Woods is a game-time decision for the Masters that begins on Thursday. We'll see. It's not like, you know, he has a deadline. He can wait until the last minute, then withdraw, do whatever he wants, play a hole or two and, you know, Say, oh, my back's not feeling it today and just withdraw. So we'll see if this game time decision amounts to him playing any actual holes at Augusta or not. But this is insane that we're even having this conversation right now after what happened a year ago with his leg where we thought he was at in his recovery. Uh, You know, either he either let us on or he's got some Superman healing ability where he's set to go. So. This is be very interesting. Without Tiger Woods, is this going to be an uneventful Masters tournament? If Tiger Woods plays, this is a spectacle that everyone will be tuning into to see because who knows how much longer Tiger Woods has left to play for golf in major championships at all. But seeing Tiger Woods again, something to behold still. And finally, wrapping up with baseball. The New York Mets are my new favorite team. I don't know if I've announced that or not. But the Yankees, until they fire Aaron Boone, I cannot go back. I cannot root for a team that has Aaron Boone as the manager of the team anymore. It is so frustrating to watch an unqualified man do to me the easiest job. To me, I watch baseball managing it's easier than football, basketball, hockey, any team sport. It's the easiest. And to see somebody suck it up that bad, it's an atrocity to the sport. It's an atrocity to the Yankees and Yankees fans that he had got a new deal for sucking. It's that bad. Uh, and, you know, the decisions that he makes, the players that he chooses to start and keep, it's, it's beyond me. It's be it's beyond bad, and until they get rid of him, I do no longer support the Yankees. So who else then could go to the rival, the New York Mets? Still root for a New York team. So the Yankees are done. I don't expect them to do well this year. I expect them to finish fourth place in their division. Uh, they're they're not a good team. But the Dodgers are my favorites. They signed Freddie Freeman. They made a swap for AJ Pollock for their 
a reliever in uh, Craig Kimbrell. Will that pay dividends? But the Dodgers are going all in yet again. Will it mean anything? No, I don't think so. NL. I believe NL MVP is going to be Bryce Harper. Uh, he really came on strong the second half of the year. I think, you know, having his friend Kyle Schwarber there in Philly now, you know, with kind of a momentum big game last year. Bryce Harper, I think, is going to have an incredible year as well. I like them to win. The AL, if Shohei Otani is to lose, if he's pitching as well as he's hitting, I don't know if he can repeat how well he did. But even if he plays to 80 90% of that, he's better than anybody else in the AL and will deserve to win MVP. The thing is, his health or not, but if healthy, they show he's to lose. And my World Series matchup is the Astros and the Mets. To me, it seems like the Astros come out no matter what happens. Yes, they lost Carlos Correa, but Kyle Tucker's been great. Uh, Bregman should be back the whole year. They've got Altuve. Verlander could be back as well. So, this team is going nowhere, and with how loaded uh, the AL East is with, you know, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays all beating up on each other, with how easy uh, the uh, Astros have it with the A's selling everybody, to me it's just the Astros to lose. They can go in there, beat those teams, and make it into the Mets. I believe this is it. They are going all in. They're spending the money. Buck Walter uh, is manager. I believe this is the team. You know, health is a big concern for the pitching rotation. But when healthy, that's the best rotation there is in baseball. And I believe come playoff time, the Mets can win it, especially with the universal DH that now exists. Which leads me to my top five teams in the MLB. Number five, you know, is the New York Mets. Like I said, best rotation in Jacob DeGrom. Max Scherzer, they got Bassett from the A's. The lineup, Lindor, uh, great shortstop as well uh, defensively. Pete Alonso, a uh, home run champ. I mean, they have the players that fit the needs right there. Number four, the Tampa Bay Rays. Wander Franco, Randy Rosarina. This is a team that can hit as well. Uh, last year, I forget what the name of our glass now got injured. That really hurt them. Uh, but he comes back healthy. That's going to be a pain for opposing teams. Three, Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, got Chapman from the A's. Have Vladimir Guerrero. You were really close to making the wild card in playoffs last year. I believe they got even better in the offseason this year. The Toronto Blue Jays, to me, are the AL East favorite and one of the best teams in the AL. Number two, the Los Angeles Dodgers. The rich get richer. Freddie Freeman added to this insane roster that has Mookie Betts, Trey Turner. To me, the big loss is, you know, Max Scherzer on the mound. Trevor Bauer should not come back, will never come back uh, to this team to pitch. So it leaves the rotation, you know, an older Clayton Kershaw is the main piece, you know, Ridgehill and Walker Bueller, but we'll see. But number one, the Atlanta Braves. Why? They have a reigning champion. Yes, they lost Freddie Freeman, but they replaced him with a cheaper, younger option 
And Matt Olson, who to me plays just as well now as the emotional heart and soul. No, not yet, but he has the capability of being that, you know, combined with them just winning the World Series. If you get Ronald Acuna back as well, uh, Bill was their best player before he got injured. This is a dangerous team. So those are my top five teams in the MLB entering opening day, which starts Thursday. The Mets, the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Dodgers, and the Rays. This has been Get Your Goat. I'll talk to you all soon. Who you got winning the national championship tonight, North Carolina or Kansas? Bye, everybody.